Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Alex Robertson, Head of Heritage and Education and International Graduate Programme and Archives at Shivers Brothers. Alex leads global advocacy for the Scotch Whiskey Portfolio and a team of 60 international and graduate ambassadors. We discuss the superb program of digital audience engagement that Shivers Brothers developed during lockdown and how that's gained them a global audience with viewers from over 30 different countries every episode. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm, I'm super excited that you've come on because we actually know each other. But that does not mean that Alex gets away without doing the icebreaker questions. <laughs> <laughs> so my first icebreaker question, what is top of your bucket list? That's an outstanding question because part of the reason that I took this job was because I had such a passion for travel. And since taking it more than a decade ago, I visited more than 60 countries around the world. 60 countries um I guess it's something that would really challenge me I guess it's something that I feel that would conquer a fear and I have an astonishing fear of heights because as a child I was repeatedly rescued from the school roof from the local university (laughs) roof roof and of course the roof of my house so I think it would need to be something that challenged that I I, like skydiving or climbing uh, Mount Everest something really off the scale um, because I, I've certainly got a job that allows me to address that, those bucket list challenges of visiting places you would never go uh, for your two-week break in the summer. <laughs> you, chose, you chose a really good profession for travel to combine your, your, your passions. Yes, it was part of the motivation, Kelly. It was, uh, I love travel. And as a journalist, I had the opportunity to travel, albeit under very different circumstances, whether that was to Sri Lanka after the tsunami or whether it was to Italy to cover the G8 summit. And part of the motivation, in addition to a real passion for Scotch, was to see the world and, and to travel to wonderful places from Serbia to India to Kazakhstan and Ukraine. And you know, the one lesson I take away is that you can see these wonderful places, but what makes a country is its people. Yeah. And that's what you remember most of all. Wonderful. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's all about when you travel, it's about immersing yourself into the culture and the people that are there, not just the place that you're at. I just want to go back to <laughs> your fear <laughs> because so you have a fear of heights. What on earth were you doing on your school roof if you have a fear of heights? Um, I loved climbing. Um, <laughs> right. absolutely loved climbing. So I specifically remember as a child, one of my earliest memories was climbing up the drain pipe of my school <laughs> roof, an old sort of style school just outside Glasgow, and then getting to the top and thinking, what am I going to do now? And that <laughs> happened repeatedly. So that's what's informed a fear of heights today. So for example, I can't even go up the Arc de Triomphe. You know, um, so I need to stay below while my my family enjoy the views from above. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I I know, Alex, that you're a really big music fan. You might not have ever thought about the answer to this question, though. So if you were a WWF wrestler, what would be your entrance song? Oh, that's 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 superb. I love it. Um, I love a deadline. I, I always had deadlines the same day. And I remember a colleague of mine saying we need a bit of Europe played through the Tannoy when deadlines come from the final countdown to pump everyone up. Or I think it would need to be Eye of the Tiger. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> do you remember that was in Rocky? I think yeah, um, something old school that really gets us going. I like that. Eye of the Tiger was my running song, and it was always my five mile song because if I could get past five miles, I knew that I was going to get back home, which was the eight mile loop that I was doing. So that, uh-huh. that's a good, yeah, good song. That's a great. Oh, do you know yeah. my running song is uh, Gorillas, which is Melancholy Hill. It's, it's brilliant. It just really keeps you driving, and it, it gives you a little bit of push when you need it. I like it. That's a good song as well. This is my last icebreaker question before I do the unpopular opinion, which I love. So what is your weakest claim to fame? Oh, yeah, goodness. Well, you know what? I'm a huge fan of Six Music, clearly, the BBC Six Music, and Sean Keaveney has a great slot in that, which is called The Small Claims Court. <laughs> and I was actually on that, um, and I've called in before. So my small claim was that at some point, it would have probably been the late 90s, and I was interviewing um, on Ru- Rudolph Giuliani's Broken Window Theory in Glasgow, you know, that if you tackle vandalism and that type of thing then that prevents more serious crimes and I was walking through Glasgow and a limousine pulled up and Cher was inside it and they sort of spoke to me and said hello and you know my claim to fame is that that actually Cher was trying to pick me up at that point Um, (laughs) I'm not sure if that's a direct link Um, another minor one is I did one share a jacuzzi with uh, Ryan gigs at a rather poor holiday, family holiday park in the north of England. Wow, they're so impressive. <laughs> the share one has blown my mind. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I remember saying to Sean Keaveney, and it wasn't my joke, it was his producers, but he said, if you could turn back time, what would you do? <laughs> I think I ran away. Oh, I was terrified. That a, that's a terrible, terrible dad joke. It is. It is. Dad joke. Okay, thank you for sharing. That was awesome. Tell me your unpopular opinion. So something that you believe to be true that hardly anyone agrees with you on. Actually, one that uh, my wife permanently disagrees with me on is I believe that if you add vinegar to chips, it reduces the fat because you're adding acid and therefore makes them healthy. (laughs) But Mm. no one's bought into it. (laughs) No one. I'm not sure about that one, but I'm going to try it the next time I want chips. My partner is on a super, super health kick at the moment. So chips, they're not in in our house. Maybe I could convince him with the vinegar trick. I think the science proves it. I think it's acid breaks down fat. I'm sure of it. I'm absolutely absolutely sure of it. In fact, I should have Googled it beforehand to at least support my argument. (laughs) Same as I should have Googled was Cher actually in Glasgow in the late 90s. Or was I just imagining it? You can't tell. We'll never know. (laughs) It's a mystery and it should stay a mystery, I think, Alex. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you. So Alex and I, just as a caveat, we do know each other. We have worked on an, on a number of projects together for Shivers. But I had a little look back over your career and, oh, my gosh, it's really impressive. And I actually didn't know these, this about you. So Alex has been a crime reporter, a BBC journalist, an international brand ambassador, and now he's head of heritage and education and the International Grads Programme and Archives at Shivers Brothers. Honestly, Alex, if at some point someone says to me, you know that Alex Roberts, he's only an international spy. I would believe it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something really interesting. So I studied, uh, I studied European politics. I went to university to study English and become an English teacher. That, w- that was my plan. And I studied European politics because it was a huge passion of mine. You know, I think it was the time of the Maastricht Treaty in the early 90s, a really important time for European politics. And I can't believe, you know, 30 years later, how much that's changed. 30 years, Kelly, can you believe it? It sounds bizarre to speak in those terms. Yeah. Um, and I believe in following our passions. 
you know, and I am, I, I, I do follow my passions from journalism to Scottish whiskey. I was a journalist for 10 years. Um, but I have an uncle who is absolutely convinced that I work in the international uh, <laughs> stage for a government agency of one type or another. Absolutely convinced. <laughs> that i can i can see why though you're like a man of travel slightly mysterious with a journalistic background i could i could see that well he's he mentions it every time we see him he's he, and he's, he's he's deadly serious he sort of just nods a wink and says i know what you're up to <laughs> <laughs> you know? oh, i love it well tell him that i agree with him now he'll probably go he'll go 100 pelt at you next time yep I want to know, so this transition from, from you know, crime reporter journalist to brand ambassador, what was it that made you make that switch? Because, I mean, it's incredibly different. Yeah, there the, the were a couple of reasons, and also they're the, the, the very alike in many ways. Um, I'd, I'd spent nearly a decade as a journalist, and, and, you know, much of that in radio, I absolutely adore radio and congratulations on the podcast. This is just superb. I, I, I love the spoken word um, without sounding uh, ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd worked freelance for a long time with The Big Issue, which, you know, and uh, was lucky enough there to win the Amnesty International Prize for Human Rights Reporting. I was passionate about asylum seekers mm. and refugees relocating in Glasgow. Um, I worked for the Scotland Sunday in sport because I loved football without sounding like an absolute cliche. And I used to walk the crime beat in Glasgow too and then moved to the BBC, which, to use a football analogy, if you're a journalist, it's the only team that you ever want to play for. Um, and I, I spent a, a couple of very happy years at the BBC working on um, website reporting, working on the radio bulletins and occasionally on television. And do you know what? Journalism was changing. I could see the writing on the wall for journalism. The opportunity to travel, which I'd done previously, I earlier mentioned going to Sri Lanka to cover the tsunami. Um, I mentioned going to Genoa to cover the G8 summit. The real passion for travel and getting out and, you know, really identifying stories on the ground and working in stories, that opportunity was diminishing. And, and many more stories were being written from press copy or agency copy at your desk. Um, and I could really see the writing on the wall for the future of journalism. I'm delighted to see that actually it still returns. And there are many fine journalists out there today um, in Glasgow and the UK and internationally, especially uh, these crucial times of whether it's Brexit, COVID or the US elections. Um, there, there are people doing a great job. And I wanted something else. Um, I felt I'd taken that as far as I could. Um, I had a huge passion for Scotch, I had a huge passion for travel, and the international brand ambassador role just seemed absolutely perfect. And I joined that 2008, I think, and um, soon, uh, I think my first trip was to China, never been to Shanghai before, and, and, and travelled throughout China and then moved to India and never looked back. As I say, that's more than 60 countries since um, I also had a very small sort of whiskey club in Glasgow. There's a feminist theory that when men get together, they form clubs. Um, and that's certainly what happened. But it was a, a very diverse club. And I remember walking into the Pot Still Bar in Glasgow. I don't know if you've been there, Kelly. But, it, no. you know, it's an amazing bar. You walk in, there's about 500 whiskeys on the wall. And I thought, well, how do I begin to understand that? But given the, the similarities, it's still about presentation. It's just uh, still about structure. It's about engaging people. It's about inspiring people, all of which you also did as a journalist. 
Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's the engaging of people that I want to talk a little bit more about. But there's something that I, I kind of need to talk about um, the visitor centres that you've been part of initially, because obviously this podcast is for people that work in the visitor attraction world or work with the visitor attraction world. But I think from some of the things that Shivers have been bringing out during the uh, pandemic, there's some really key learnings that we can take from that that, that translate across. But I want to talk a little bit about um, the malt whiskey distilleries. So Abalawa, Scapa, Strathyla and the Glenlivet. They have been closed at certain points during the pandemic because of, of, of what's been happening. So you haven't been able to have visitors into the centres. I mean, how were you able to adapt the centres during the COVID pandemic? What, what kind of what happened there? You know, I, I see visitor centres as the beating heart of communities. You know, in, uh, in Scottish whisky, it's not only a passion for what I do, it's a pride in what we do because we've got 10,000 jobs directly employed by the Scottish whisky industry here and 40,000 indirectly. It's, it's an incredible impact in communities. And as all your listeners will know, visitor centres where your story comes alive is sometimes I used to say if you went to the Glenlivet, just being there was enough. You know, the sounds, the sights, the smells, you know, it, it, you know, it made the hairs on your neck stand up. It's an amazing experience. And then comes along COVID and all of that closes, you know, and, and, and this is where you experience our Scotch whiskies. This is where you understand their heritage, their craftsmanship, their flavour. And now the priority, of course, was making sure the stills continue to run. That was number one. And, you know, Shiva's brothers implemented an industry-leading safe system of work to ensure that that could continue to happen, you know, in the most extreme circumstances at the height of its pandemic. Um, and also came to the aid of communities. You know, it produced, I think, uh, 160,000 litres of hand sanitizer and made 300 contact-free deliveries becoming um, to social care providers, to charities. And, and May Shiva's brothers became the... NHS Scotland's first pro bono hand sanitizer supplier. So a great effort. It was yeah. all about, you know, protecting our communities and ensuring the stills continue to run. So that was number one. And then you're absolutely right. As head of heritage and education, I had to look at this and say, okay, we bring in tens of thousands of people a year. My specific role is to bring in our trade guests from all over the world and, and, and you know, take them to a beautiful Lynn House, which you've been to. And, it's, yes, you know, it is very show beautiful. Them, show them around the distilleries. And I think it demonstrated that there was an opportunity. Suddenly we realised there was an opportunity to reach people through digital advocacy. And very quickly I turned around a digital plan which would centre on Scotch whisky education and the Scotch whisky academy, which would address a thirst for knowledge both within our business, because that was important. We also had our own employees to engage during yeah. this, Kelly. It wasn't just about the visitors. And then engage a global audience. And I would say the key learning is that we've actually extended a reach beyond those numbers that we would normally engage. We've got a much greater footprint, albeit digitally. And looking to the future, I would say that we will always place physical activations hand in hand with digital activations and they will always go together from here on in once we can open again. And of course the distilleries are, now the brand homes are open. I can tell you more about that. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And that's something that I 
have been thinking more and more of over the past few months about at some point we will go back to a normal a version of, of, of our normality. But all of these incredible things that have happened means that our reach for visitors and our reach for people that we can educate and and, and get our brand in front of and, 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 and has just expanded. And I don't want people to, to kind of go back to the old ways. I think, it, like you say, it has to work really hand in hand. One of the things that I really want to talk about is Scotch Watch. <laughs> so <laughs> this is one of the things that has come out of the pandemic in terms of your digital plan. And I think it's wonderful. I want you to explain what Scotch Watch is for us. And how did you come up with the idea? How did this happen? Well, do you know, I think um, Scotch Watch was important because there, there, there were a couple of drivers, I think. Um, you know, and it was amazing how we were able to learn from others too and see how others were prepared for digital in terms of offering virtual tours and so on. Yeah. Scotch Watch had a couple of objectives. The first was actually to meet the makers, the people behind our Scotch whiskies, in a very informal setting. And second, on digital, we know that 7% of a presentation is what we say. The other 93% is, is our body language, is how we interact, it's our tone, it's how we look, it's how we shape our conversation. But all of that vanishes on digital. Yeah. So I wanted to create something that was much more informal in nature, that took us away from the t- traditional pillars of heritage craftsmanship and flavor um, and put us actually brought through the personalities of those involved that brought through gave an opportunity to meet the people who have decades of experience and real passion for scotch whiskey and also showcase some great new whiskies because and, and demonstrate that the work of scotch whiskey the work of Shivers brothers the glen levitt uh, Shivers regal um Abelow was very much still going on now the idea wasn't mine um, although I'm perfectly happy to claim it. Um, <laughs> um, the, idea, the idea was our master blender, our director of blending, Sandy Hislop, right. my co-host in the show. So he approached me and said, listen, what can we do here? We're doing the academy. We know that. We know we're supporting mentoring globally. We've reached 3,000 people in three months. Uh, incredible reach. Um, what else can we do? He said, I want to run a show on Zoom weekly or other platforms where we just informally have a chat. Sandy's a huge antiques collector. He's a watch collector. He wanted to talk about watches. He wanted to talk about, um, I'm a huge music fan. I wanted to get music in there. Um, and then we would have a studio guest and we'd just talk about whiskey. And, you know, we had a great session recently where we went live to our ambassador in Poland, um, Anna. We had our brand manager, Hannah, and the Ballantines team in London. And it, just the dynamic shows the real passion behind Scotch. We moved to a monthly show, and do you know what? We've already reached more than 30 countries in, wow. in, in that time, and, and more than 500 people. And this is just the start for Scotch Watch. I want to, you know, we've now got it on YouTube. We'll have events every Thursday. They can just find out more on Instagram. My, my handle is at Dram Good Life. Um, but I want to take it further and have Instagram lives but really it's an informal look at Scottish whiskey Kelly so it's a very long-winded answer for you <laughs> I, I loved it so I watched the last episode I watched the, the um, October edition and I think it's where you unveiled the new Ballantine's uh, seven bourbon finish now I I'm very appreciative of whiskey but I wouldn't call myself a whiskey connoisseur um, I've got a gin bar in my house not a whiskey bar sorry Ooh. but what I found really engaging was, was, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about being a storyteller and, and having that kind of connection with brands. 
I loved how each person on the webinar spoke really passionately about not only the whiskey, but something that was personal to them that was connected to the whiskey. So for instance, you you mentioned Sandy being a big vintage collector. Now he took the whiskey and he associated the whiskey with um, an item and he, he had a stopwatch a beautiful, beautiful vintage, vintage um, pocket watch, sorry, a pocket watch. And he, ta- he talked about it in terms of how that kind of connected with the, the, with the whiskey itself. And then you spoke about a music, you know, a, a song, a record that you connected with the whiskey. And I loved that, you know, I, even for someone that's not a huge, huge kind of lover of whiskey, I really related to those things because actually I'm a big music fan and actually I really love vintage pieces. And then um, your, I think it was Hannah, the brand ambassador, she, um, brand manager, sorry, she spoke about a book that connected with it as well. And I thought, I love all of these things. And it really made me feel a connection to the brand that I probably wouldn't have got previously if I'd have just seen it on a shelf or if you'd talked about it in some way. It felt very, very personal. I think I think that's a great observation. Thank you. Because the, again, it's how, how do you establish an emotional connection online? That's, a, that's, that's the challenge we're all all facing. Um, how do we bring to life these great distilleries and these great whiskies when actually we're on the celebrity squares of Zoom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and, and people are at home and you've got to make that, that emotional connection because we all have it. And the second point is that actually whiskey is accessible. You know, the, the, the most significant change I've seen in the past decade is the, the, the emergence and the rise of whiskey cocktails. Superb. Mm. I love it. And I believe if you're going to make whiskey accessible, then you can pair it with music because, you know, you can, you, you can follow the rhythm of music and the, 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 the high flavour notes, the low flavour notes of whiskey. You know, you can pair it with your favourite pocket watch. You can pair it with dinner. It's so accessible. Yeah. And if we're doing that, if we're making whiskey accessible and someone's sitting at home saying, actually, it was interesting with Jenna Murray on, who was our D. Glenlivet ambassador on the, the previous episode. You know, the Glenlivet is number one in the US. And I said, listen, what is it that makes the Glenlivet uh, unique? What is it that makes people in the US passionate about it? And she said, because it's for people like me. And that's what I want the, the emotional connection to be when they watch. Just as you said, Kelly, if you watch Scottish Watch, you, you know what? This is for me. Yeah. I don't feel excluded from this. I feel part of this. Yeah, it's, that's exactly the feeling that I got from it. You know, I felt when I started watching it, I thought, is this for me? Of Yes, I appreciate whiskey. Yes, I work in a whiskey world. But is this really for me? And within 10 minutes, I thought, this is absolutely for me. It, it really got me right here. And I really enjoyed that you, um, at the end, it was Anna who took us through making an old fashioned. I was like, great, I can, well, I can do this. This is it. it and it, again, it felt really easy. It felt really accessible. And that, for me, is the biggest part of building that audience engagement is that you're making it for that person that that you, you know, I felt like you and Sandy were talking directly to me that evening. And there was I mean, there was a lot of people on that call. You were getting a lot of questions, um, but it really felt like you were connecting with me individually. And, and that is what's so important about about the engagement level. It's yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. I, I think and I think that's the. The challenge because we for all of us you know and because people are at their laptops all day now at home too and we're calling on them to then join us on the laptops again uh, there's no change of scenery 
Um, yeah. and, and, and that's a real challenge. How do we, how do we ward against, shall we say, online fatigue? Is that a risk? Yeah. Because I guess none of us predicted this still to be running. You know, this started in March, you know, it's now December. I mean, what, what was nice, I mean, and obviously I didn't have the ingredients to do it, but I thought what would be nice is that actually I could make that, that cocktail while you were doing it. So there's maybe that level of interaction is, is what differentiates it from your day, you know, where you've spent all day on Zoom calls. But actually, when you're doing something as well, it doesn't then feel like just another Zoom call. You've got that level of interactivity, which I guess, I mean, is that something else that Shivas are now doing? Your virtual tastings, for example, that's something quite new. Yeah, we, we we had to drive this this carefully. So at the brand homes, they, they did a great job of opening up safely to allow people to come in and taste whiskey. And given the current restrictions, that's now been moved outdoors, which, uh, although Space can be lovely in uh, winter. <laughs> it's beautiful, you know. but actually. <laughs> um, so we had to move very, very quickly to an online advocacy strategy. And I built that essentially on three pillars. And one beauty was that you could get to meet people you wouldn't normally get to meet. Our our makers could, instead of having to travel across the globe and spend a week, all I needed of their time was an hour, which is a complete game changer. Our distillers, Alan Winchester, our blender, Sandy Hislop. So the first thing we launched was our Scotch Whiskey Academy to address a real thirst for knowledge internationally. And that's been a huge success. It's now running every single week. And you can come on, you can attend three sessions and you can learn all about Scotch whisky, heritage, craftsmanship, flavour, what makes it unique. And that has been an enormous success. And that's largely been to an internal audience and customers. Our challenge now in 2021 is how do we take that in partnership with our visitor centres to the public? Because we know people want to engage. And then the second part is um, we've had a great amount of activity we've launched Valentine 7 Bourbon Finish, as you said. We've launched the Glenlivet Spectre and Caribbean Cask. We have a new Chivas Regal 13 range extra. And we've been supporting that internationally. And the team are working incredibly hard every single week, hosting sessions from the US to Canada to South America, all across Europe, as far afield as Australia. And we are doing that every single week to customers. So we are, and consumers, we're reaching a much broader audience and in addition to that, I, I have a team of about 50 graduate ambassadors in 27 countries, each and every country at a different stage of this pandemic. And they have responded just quite brilliantly to this. And my recommendation to everyone, bring energy to it, bring creativity to it, create dynamic content, you know, and have people who understand the medium, which, was, which is a challenge because this is a brave new world for us all. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and just touching on the graduates um, that you you spoke about, I guess for them and the world that they live in, this has not been as challenging for them. They live their lives relatively digitally. So for some people, this has been a huge, huge, huge change. But for them, actually, the assumption is that they've dealt pretty well with this. Yes, yes, superbly well. I can't praise them highly enough. But not only, you know, they, of course, they're a, they're a digital generation. They don't know a time where they didn't have that access to social and digital. So they're able to drive content. But what they've managed to do is create engaging content. And they've actually been creative in the process. They've brought energy to this. 
for us and actually a very difficult time for them. You know, the majority are far from home during a pandemic and often in a lockdown, but they've been creating cocktails online. You know, have a look at Shiva's graduates on Instagram. You'll see them. They've been engaging local bartenders. They've been supporting the on-trade. They have consumers. They've been doing really creative videos online. Really, really proud of them. An incredible effort. But the lesson for us all is how do we bring creativity and energy and for us, it was also how do we get the glass in hand? We had to look differently at e-commerce too. Yeah, that's right, actually. I mean, Shivers has been through, um, a, I mean, there's a lot of e-commerce stores that have launched through the lockdown, which is actually, it's quite a new thing, isn't it? There's not been a real focus on direct sales through through the brands. Okay, well, it's really interesting. I don't know, you know, what you think yourself, but people really had to rethink this. And I don't want to say that, I, I don't know if we were all ill-prepared for digital advocacy because we place such value on physical interaction, and rightly so. But I think it had to make us think differently. You know, you know, if someone came to a whiskey tasting that I was hosting in Mumbai, we knew the whiskey was there on the table. You know, if we were launching an international, um, a Scottish watch from Scotland, how were we going to get that whiskey into their hand? And, and, and that became the challenge. So you're right. We had to link it because let's be honest, there has to be, you know, the, uh, we have to build a benefit to all of this. Um, and the way to do that is through e-commerce. Yeah. And I think it's worked beautifully. And actually the speed and the turnaround that things have been able to to happen and, and to launch during this time is, is testament to the people that you've got in, in your team as well. Coming to the end of the podcast interview, I've got a couple of extra questions that I'd like to ask you. I think really it's it's what's next. You've done an incredible job. Scotchwatch, I do, I genuinely think is just such a fantastic thing. And I really, really hope that it continues. But what can you see that's coming next for for the brands? Yeah, I think um I had I had almost planned to first of January. You know, and what and what we need to do is get back to physical activations when it's safe to do so. That's engaging people face to face, inspiring them uh, on our Scottish whiskies, the Glenlivet, Chivas, Aberlour, Ballantines, and Royal Salute. But I still think that's some way off. Great news that a vaccine appears to be in the pipeline um, for the spring. Um, so in the meantime, we need to look at how we raise to another level. I've almost seen this, that we established the base with our Scotch Whiskey Academy. We created another level with Scotch Watch under innovation support, looking at the new whiskies we were launching. But I think the challenge for 2021 is really how do we continue to have a, a real impact globally with Scotch Whiskey aficionados and Scotch Whiskey novices? And we really engage them, um, both with our Scotch Academy, linking in our, our Scotch Whisk Academy to our brand homes, the Glenlivet Academy. It's a great wow, prospect. Yeah, it is. You know, a great prospect. How do we continue to excite, inspire, engage people creatively? And, and yeah, I'm going to be honest, that's the job I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's really about, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, we're almost planning day by day, week by week at the moment. Um, but I'm excited we can respond. We're, we're about to recruit 20 new Scottish whisky ambassadors for 2021, oh, which is amazing fabulous. news. It shows you the confidence that Chivas Brothers has in Scottish whisky in the future. Uh, you know, our markets are confident. You know, our countries I deal with, about 30 countries around the world, they are confident. They have strong rebound plans. Um, and we know that advocacy, ambassadorial work, both physically and digitally, will absolutely be at the heart of that. I think uh, I'm optimistic about 2021 now. 
This is a lovely, positive way to end the podcast, Alex. Thank you. Um, I have to say the the grad scheme that Shivas have is is it's phenomenal, and I know that every year you are completely overwhelmed with applicants for it. So we've got a little bit of a scoop there that that's coming out soon, but. Um, you've got a really hard task ahead of you, I'm sure, because this year I'm positive that you'll be completely inundated when those come out. What we'll do is all of the things that we've discussed today and all of the links to everything that we've talked about will be in the show notes. So we'll have links to Scotchwatch, we'll have links to the Ambassadors website, we'll have links to everything that you can go and look at. We always end the podcast by asking our guests if they have a book that they would recommend, something that they love or something that has helped shape their career in some way over the years. Have you got one you can share with us? Wow. Um, I, I read a lot and lose track um, as I go older, <laughs> which I've touched on a few times, the passage of time. Um, as he buys time to answer. Listen, and I, I actually, in a professional sense, I listen to podcasts as often as possible. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Rajan Chattery. I don't know if you who, who wrote the, the Four Pillars of Health. And I listen to that a lot because I really believe it's important to bring balance to our lives and, and, and everything that we do, whether that's in diet, sleep, exercise, and digital. Um, in fact, I'm really fascinated by the impact of digital technology on our experiences at the moment too. Um, I guess the book that's always had a lasting impact on me is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Um right is number one uh, the sheer scale of it the sheer drama the way he paints color throughout it um, the emotion contained in the book the generations which it spans it's incredible and i'd recommend it to everyone oh wow that is that is a superb book um now as ever we offer your book as a prize to our guests so um, if you'd like to win a copy of this book then if you head over to our twitter account um if it's just skip the queue And if you retweet this episode announcement saying, I want Alex's book, then you will be in a chance of winning it. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for your time. Now, it's just after 11 in the morning, but I think the only way to end this podcast, unfortunately, with my cup of tea, is to say, Slanjava. Yes, Slanjava. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.